Cool. Hello, Every Nation Vancouver, and to those joining us online, so glad you could be here. If at all tonight when I'm preaching, you're like, what is he talking about? Green light, baby, okay? <laughs> so that's it. Uh, we have been going through the book of Acts here at the church. We've just been going chapter by chapter, verse by verse, and tonight we are going to finish out Acts chapter 8. And to uh, help with this, what we've been doing is we've been asking people to just read the passage beforehand. So I'm going to invite my friend Myra up. She is, yes, she is going to read the end of Acts chapter 8. And just out of respect for God's word, for what's being read, could you please join us by standing? Now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, Go south to the road, the desert road, that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. So he started out, and on his way he met an Ethiopian eunuch, an important official in charge of all the treasury of the Candake, which means the queen of Ethiopians. This man had gone to Jerusalem to worship, and on his way home was sitting in his chariot reading the book of Isaiah the prophet. The spirit told Philip, Go to that chariot and stay near it. Then Philip ran up to the chariot and heard the man reading Isaiah the prophet. Do you understand what you are reading, Philip asked. How can I, he said, unless someone explains it to me. So he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. This is the passage of scripture the eunuch was reading. He was led like a sheep to the slaughter, and as a lamb before his, its shearer is silent. So he did not open his mouth. In his humiliation, he was deprived of justice. Who can speak of his descendants, for his life was taken from the earth? The eunuch said, the eunuch asked Philip, Tell me, please, who is the prophet talking about, himself or someone else? Then Philip began with that very passage of scripture and told him the good news about Jesus. As they traveled along the road, they came to some water, and the eunuch said, Look, here is water. What can stand in the way of my being baptized? and gave orders to stop the chariot. Then both Philip and the eunuch went down into the water, and Philip baptized him. When they came up out of the water, the spirit, the spirit of the Lord suddenly took Philip away, and the eunuch did not see him again, but went on his way rejoicing. Philip, however, appeared at Azotus and traveled about preaching the gospel in all the towns until he reached Caesarea. That's amazing. Thank you so much, Myra. You may be seated. Happy Father's Day, Tim. That was a gift for you. There you go. <laughs> All right. Well, hello again. Uh, so we're going to be in Acts chapter 8. We're going to be at the second part that Myra just read. But what I'd like to do first is tell a story about the desert. For our 10th anniversary, my wife and I, we were trying to decide what are we going to do for our 10th anniversary. And my wife said, hey, let's go to Salvation Mountain. Has anyone heard of Salvation Mountain? Just one. Okay. And it's this random art mountain in the middle of the desert. And when I say the middle of the desert, like we landed and we had to drive five hours into the desert. And I'm getting a little nervous because there are no gas stations, there are no houses, there's no life, it's just dead. There's nothing in the desert. My wife is like, isn't this exciting? We're going to Salvation Mountain. I'm like, no, this looks like Mad Max. Like I am not excited at all. <laughs> We're gonna die out here. But sure enough, 
we arrive, and maybe you have a picture here. Here's what it looks like. Just out in the middle of the desert, you have this guy named Leonard Cohen, or Leonard Cohen, sorry, no, Leonard Knight. There we go. Leonard Knight, who said, I want to tell the world about Jesus. Um, he fought in the Korean War. He came back after the war, and Jesus grabbed his heart and just transformed it. And he said, I don't have much, but I want to tell the world. And where he could afford land was in California, where it was free in the desert. And he got hay bales and clay and adobe and just painted this message. You can show the other pictures too, that God is love. And while we're there, a cat's like, isn't this amazing? Like, what are you thinking about right now? I'm like, oh, honestly, I'm wondering, like, how many bodies are stuffed in that mountain? Like, this is, we're out in the middle of nowhere. But as we were standing there, I kid you not, hundreds of cars just pulled, there was nothing, but hundreds of cars drove all the way out to see this message that Leonard had to say. And if you've been on Instagram or any social media, you've probably seen these images, right? And literally thousands, hundreds of thousands, and millions of people have either physically gone there or seen this online. Just this story of God's love, and it's out in the middle of the desert. And tonight we're going through, we're continuing to go through the book of Acts to look at the functions of the early church. As the church started, what did that look like? Why did they act that way? And last week we saw together that when we join God's mission, our hearts naturally form to the heart of God. Because there's something about declaring Jesus as Lord and his coming kingdom that does something to our hearts. It's unique. It's irreplaceable. All things will come alive in your heart as you embrace God's purposes, no matter where you are. So as we finish up Acts chapter 8 tonight, I want to continue to look at our thoughts from last week, but I don't necessarily just want to look at the condition of our heart, even though we'll look at that. I want to look at the physical location of our heart. I know, it's here. No, no, no. But I want to look at the physical location, like where is your heart right now? In your situation, currently, where is your heart? The place that your story has taken you up to this point, where is your heart? Today, our story takes place in the desert. And we're going to see two characters who are both looking for joy, just in different ways. And so tonight, I want to look at what does looking for joy in the desert of your life look like. So our text begins with God speaking to Philip. And as we saw, this is what God did uh, with the early church and still with his people today. Um, God was spreading the gospel throughout the world through his missionaries. And why were they doing this? Because they were living out the first call that they had. We saw this in Acts chapter 1 verse 8. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. This is the mission of the church. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. So Philip, who we saw last week in Samaria, he's on this mission. He's like, God, wherever you want me, I'm in. I've got the message. I've got the passion. Let's go take me. And God says, great, go to the desert. Now, I don't know about you, but have you been there? Have you been a Philip where you're like, okay, you know, you just came from a conference or you came from a Bible study or from an experience and you're excited. You're like, God, I can take on the world. Just put me on a plane. I'm ready. Let's go. And he's like, great. Your office tomorrow. 
my office? Come on, like those people won't listen to me. Your house, no, no one listens to me in my house. You know, your neighborhood, this place, no, this is crazy. And the same thing, Philip is ready to go to the ends of the earth and he goes to the desert where there are no people. But all of a sudden, as we see, uh, a chariot comes riding through and God tells Philip to go stay near to the chariot. And in this chariot was an Ethiopian eunuch who was in charge of all the country's finances. He worked for Candace, queen of the Ethiopians. He made, or excuse me, he had money. We can tell this because he was in a chariot. We also know that he had money because he was reading scripture. This is before the printing press. If you wanted the Bible, you had to pay big bucks for it. And he has a scroll of Isaiah and he's reading through it. This guy, the Ethiopian eunuch, is no common man. He's rich powerful. He's achieved his goals in this life. He's at the pinnacle of society, but right now he's in the middle of the desert. And he's, and this reading of Isaiah, the book of Isaiah, it implies that he's searching for something in this desert, that even though he has everything that the world can offer him, there's still something big missing because he can't, he can access anything he wants. Whatever he wants, he can access it except for his own joy, as we're going to see later. He can't access his own joy. He can't create it. And I wonder if this is like us. When we think that when we reach the pinnacle of success, that is where we'll find joy in this life. Because for many of us, we convince ourselves that we're on the right path to joy. Uh, we just haven't gone far enough yet. Uh, we live for money and power. And when we get those things, we'll, get, we'll be complete. When we find that right relationship with someone, we'll be complete. But as we're going to see, this man went all the way down the path. And he literally went to the very top. And he's still empty. And this shouldn't surprise us, especially living in our world today. This shouldn't surprise us because we've heard this before, right? From our friends or even ourselves. Things are good, but something's missing. Have you ever said that? Something's missing. And this longing that I believe is for Jesus, the same longing that this Ethiopian eunuch had, it's a universal longing, isn't it? That riches and things just won't satisfy. He had it all, but he still has nothing. And he starts searching for what will bring him joy, and it brings him into the desert. Now, for this Ethiopian eunuch, I'm going to get a little biblical nerdy here. I hope that's okay. Um, we don't know how he heard of the God of the Bible, the God of Jerusalem. We do know, though, that a thousand years prior to this, there was a queen in the area named Queen Sheba. Okay, this is a dynastic name, so there are lots of Shebas. And she traveled north to meet with King Solomon. And she was impressed with his riches, his power, and his wisdom. And legend has it, in other religious documents, that she took back with her teachings of the God of the Bible. And because of this, there had been a group of Jewish converts in this Ethiopia area who gathered together. And they heard about this God who came and dwelled with his people up north in the temple. So much time later, possibly this eunuch in his emptiness begins looking and starts asking, where is this thing that I'm after? And maybe in God's providence, he brought this man into contact with these Jewish converts in this town. And they tell him about a God who does satisfy the reason that money doesn't do it for you, friend, is because you were created for something far greater than money. You were actually created 
for a relationship with God. So then he spends money to get his hands on a Bible, starts reading it, begins to see that God dwells with his people in the temple at Jerusalem. So he decides, if that's where God is, that's where I have to go. And I want to go there, and I want to worship with this God. Now, this isn't a crazy thought, especially if you're reading Scripture. If you read the Psalms, especially in the Psalms of Ascent, there are entire songs written about Jerusalem, the temple and the glory and the splendor that would be found there, how God would come down and dwell with his people. There are stories of God's glory descending on them, and he determines, or he determines this is the place. This is where I need to go to find my joy. And he knows he needs to get to this God as close as he possibly can. Because even though he was bred and raised for his current position and received everything that he could from the world, there's still this thirst that he can't satisfy. So he goes on a quest, 1,500 miles by chariot. Yes, it's faster than walking, but there are no roads at that time, okay? So most likely he's traveling a week to get to Jerusalem, to get to the temple. He travels there. Imagine, it's kind of like a movie scene. You know, you're going on this epic journey and you look up and he sees the temple. Like he sees it, it's there. He sees people going in and out of it. And he's like, that's it. That's where I need to be. For his entire life, he's been looking for something, and he looks right up at it, and he sees it, and he gets to the temple. He's about to worship God. But there may have been a verse in the Bible that he didn't read. If you look in Deuteronomy 23, verse 1, it says this. No one who has been emasculated by crushing or cutting may enter the assembly of the Lord. So guys like him, eunuchs, castrated, weren't allowed in the temple. Maybe he was allowed on the outer courts with the Gentiles, but he couldn't get close to the Holy of Holies where God dwelled, and he was held outside. Now imagine, your whole life, you've been looking for this. For this guy, his money, his power has opened every possible door for him, but he gets to the temple of God, and God's gatekeepers say, no, you can't come in. Imagine how disappointed this man would be Imagine you spent all week working up the courage to ask that girl on a date, and she says no. That's not a confession. I'm just saying an example, okay? Imagine. What if you go to school and you spend all your years trying to attain that one position, and you work hard, you put in long hours, all-nighters, and then after the job interview, they say, ah, we're going to go with someone else. What if you, your hard work and your sacrifice, you do this to move to a place of opportunity, yet things are still far from perfect, and the place that you thought had the answer of your joy does not satisfy you or your family? You know that feeling of rejection, don't you? You know that feeling of sorrow. But I do have news for you. This is far more important than any of those examples that I said. This is a relationship with God, the God of the universe. And he knows he needs this, and he's being rejected. He gets to the temple, he gets turned around. This is a terrible day for this man. Because he's coming back, and he still doesn't have what he's looking for. But God goes after him. As we see in verse 29, the spirit told Philip, go to that chariot and stay near it. 
Then Philip ran up to the chariot and heard the man reading Isaiah the prophet. And he says, do you understand what you're reading? And the man says, how can I unless someone explains it to me? So he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. And this isn't uncommon, you know, in... um, In Eastern culture, you would read out loud. We read to ourselves, but you would read out loud. And so Philip hears this, comes in and says, hey, do you know what you're reading? No, I don't. And how can I unless somebody tells me? And he brings him in. Now, I want to pause for a second. This guy, Philip, we need something that he has. Because Philip, in order for him to jump in that chariot, for him to even ask him, do you know what you're reading? He had to jump and cross over some cultural and ethnic boundaries because the eunuch is very different from him. The eunuch in his culture was a big deal, but in Jewish culture, he was an outsider. He was considered unclean. On top of that, he was a different race than Philip. He was even a different social economic level than Philip. And Philip is crossing over all of these social boundaries to bring the message of Jesus. And when we look at our culture, especially over the past little while, we've been so divided by issues of race and our differences and our ideas And you know, I know we say like, ah, if we could just get along or if we could just find a common ground. No, the hope actually, the big hope for our culture is that we see Jesus as ultimate. Because I don't think there's anything we can do on our own. But if Jesus was ultimate, that would change our culture. We would all realize that we are God's children. And we can look at people that are different than us and say, actually, we shouldn't be separated. We're brothers and we're sisters because of who Jesus is. And our hope for unity is that more people would come to see the gospel that we're going to hear about here. The gospel is good news, seeing each other as brothers and sisters in Christ. And if we as Christians say that we are led by the same Holy Spirit that Philip was led by, then we should get prepared to jump some of these cultural boundaries. We should be prepared to take these steps. And I'm so privileged, church, to be a part of a church that is willing to take those steps. As I look at our uh, Turkey trip and even our visiting friends here coming here, like we are going to take these cultural steps. And I love it. So Philip is in the chariot, and here's what they are reading. Hundreds of of years prior from Isaiah 53. And if you've attended any Good Friday service, you've probably heard this passage. But I want to read it. a few verses, and I just want you to think. Think of that eunuch who has shoved the whole world in his heart, but nothing has satisfied. And yet he's going to hear right now about a suffering servant. And I just want you to think, if you were listening, maybe a friend, maybe a neighbor listening to this. And it says, He was despised and rejected by mankind, a man of suffering and familiar with pain. Like one from whom people hide their faces, he was despised, and we held him in low esteem. Surely he took up our pain and bore our suffering, yet we considered him punished by God, stricken by him, and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions, he was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him, and by his wounds we are healed. Amen. We all like sheep have gone astray. Each of us have turned to our way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed and afflicted, 
yet he did not open his mouth. He was led like a lamb to the slaughter, and as sheep before its shearers is silent, so he did not open his mouth. By oppression and judgment, he was taken away. Yet who of his generation protested? For he was cut off from the land of the living. For the transgression of my people, he was punished. He was assigned a grave with the wicked and with the rich in his death, though he had done no violence, nor was any deceit in his mouth. Yet it was the Lord's will to crush him and cause him to suffer. And though the Lord makes his life an offering for sin, he will see his offspring and prolong his days, and the will of the Lord will prosper in his hand. So the Ethiopian is reading this message with Philip. And this is a mysterious passage. Think of it. The Ethiopian is seeing a great servant of God who would come and suffer. He would be great, but not like the way kings are great through riches and power, but this servant, this powerful king, would use his power by laying down his life. He would be afflicted, stricken, and laid low. He would even be killed, making his grave with the wicked and the rich. But somehow, in addition to this, he's going to not just die, but also prolong his days. And this kind of seems like a contradiction. Wait, this guy's going to die? And then he's going to live longer. So the Ethiopian is reading, and he doesn't understand it. He doesn't know what this is about, but he knows he wants it. He knows there's something bigger going on. I mean, he just came from being rejected at Jerusalem, and he's probably full of sorrow. And here, what he's reading is a promise in the same book that most likely led him to the temple, that some servant would come and endure sorrow for us, that someone would come and endure rejection so that we wouldn't have to be rejected anymore. So he's reading this, and he thinks it's good, and he wants it, but he's like, is this Isaiah talking about himself or someone else? He just doesn't understand the book. And sometimes to get this book, you have to have someone who knows the author. Um, excuse me. <coughs> During the pandemic, my friend Allison, she gave me a call, and I picked up the phone, and she go, literally, Matt, are you sitting down? I'm like, uh-oh, <laughs> is this good news? And she goes, okay, you're not going to believe this. I met someone at uh, acting agency, like an audition. We were sitting there, and Allison was just being Allison. She was telling this person, how Jesus has changed her heart. And I don't know if it made any impact on the person, but Allison's just being Allison. And like five years later, she gets a message on Instagram from this person that she had a conversation with. And the message was, hey, uh, I'll make a summary, but I've just graduated. I've been trying to get my life together. And I just hear about this Jesus guy. So I thought I'd get a Bible. So she gets a Bible, and she reads it in a week, okay? Reads it and says, I come across this thing called baptism. What is that about? And Allison just tells her, oh, it's the best. <laughs> like, this is good. And so Allison, myself, we got to talk with Jasmine, and it was so, she ended up getting baptized, which was fantastic, but it was so cool. She just went straight to the author, reading this, and like, wait, what is this about? And so she goes to someone who knows the author. Because it can be overwhelming 
Think of it for a second. When we read the Bible, we don't get it. You know, if you're at camp, like, where do I start? Somebody says the book of John. Why, is, why the book of John? <laughs> like, I don't get that. Now I'm more confused. Who is the word, you know? Um, but there is a big difference when you know the author. And Philip knows the author by experience. The author of this book of Isaiah came and lived among people as this suffering servant, and Philip actually lived with him for a few years. Philip saw that he died, that he made his grave with the wicked, that God prolonged his days because he rose from the grave. Philip tells the Ethiopian that he knows exactly who this suffering servant is. It's Christ, the one who came. And the good news that the eunuch was searching for, guess what? It's all true. It's true. And I'm sure, just because it's Philip, that they actually kept reading Isaiah. And if you get to chapter 56, something interesting happens. This is what it says in the book of Isaiah are the consequences of when this servant, Jesus, comes and what the good news would have been to the Ethiopian who was just rejected at Israel, but now he's reading about this suffering servant. And look what this suffering servant will do. Chapter 56 of Isaiah. Let, let no foreigner who is bound to the Lord say, the Lord will surely exclude me from his people. And let no eunuch complain, I am only a dry tree. For this is what the Lord says. To the eunuchs who keep my Sabbaths, who choose what pleases me and hold fast to my covenant, to them I will give within my temple and its walls a memorial and a name better than sons and daughters. So here's this guy that looks to be rejected by God. And then Philip sits with him, reads the scroll, and tells them of the servant who will come. And once that servant comes, all those who are outcast will be made close. All those who were rejected before are now accepted. And you will have a place that is better than a son or daughter. And to be honest, I can't really conceive that. Like, my daughters, I have two little girls, like at their, in our home, like it's their home. Their stuff is there. Their beds are there. Like you can come and visit. Feel free to come vi bring food, but feel free to come and visit. But like that's their place. Like when I think of my home, like that's their place. And Philip says, because of Jesus, you can have a place with God that is closer than a son or daughter. Those who are far off can be brought near. 56 continues, I will give them an everlasting name that will endure forever. And foreigners who bind themselves to the Lord to minister to him, to love the name of the Lord and to be his servants and all who keep the Sabbath without desecrating it and who hold fast to my covenant, this I will bring to my holy mountain and give them joy in my house of prayer. This eunuch was just at the holy mountain and he got shut down hard at the house of prayer. But here it says that Jesus came. So now you can be brought close to God and have that joy. And it continues, their burnt offerings and sacrifices will be accepted on my altar. For my house will be called a house of prayer for all nations. The sovereign Lord declares, he who gathers the exiles of Israel, I will gather still others to them besides those already gathered. This is great news. This is huge. Those who were unacceptable can be accepted. Those who were rejected are now made sons and daughters. And Philip preaches the gospel to this man. 
And this is the gospel that we need to believe if we are going to have joy in this life. Because we come into church and we know what we're weighted down by, our own sins, our own guilt, our own shame. We're cut off from God because of our mistrust. We don't have the relationship we want or we don't feel accepted. But the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ is that Jesus was rejected so that we don't have to be. And if you feel like an outsider and you feel like you can't come to know Christ, Jesus was actually on the outside of the camp so that we could be brought near. All of the wrath and guilt that we deserve that should be on us was taken by Jesus. And if we believe the guilt can, excuse me, if we believe that the guilt can be lifted, that sins can be forgiven, and we will no longer be rejected but accepted by God, that's the good news of the gospel. So this Ethiopian hears the good news. And it might be a little hard for him to believe because look at how he responds. I know when we read this, some, you know, I, I read this passage a lot in my life and it's like, wow, look, someone was excited to get baptized. Like, look, there's water. Why can't we do it now? And it's like a very, very real look at that. Maybe that's how it happened. But if his experience was getting rejected at the temple, think of these words now. Look, here is water. What can stand in the way of me being baptized? I wonder if there's still a little fear and a little doubt. Like, okay, I get it, Jesus came, but what's next? You're gonna say that I can't get in. What other hoop do I have to jump in? What's the catch? Where's the fine print? But that's not the case. Philip takes him down to the water and they're baptized. He gets baptized and the outsider has come on the inside. The rejected is accepted through Christ. Nothing he had to do. He was welcome and accepted because Jesus died in his place. This is great news. And what is his response? Joy. And there's also a passage in there where it says, Philip was taken away by the Spirit. You know, I thought that was the coolest verse as a kid growing up. I'm like, oh man, if I believe in Jesus... I just get to go places. Like, this would be good news for our turkey trip. You know, like, hey, just take us over. That would be great and cheaper. I have no idea what it means, okay? I don't know, <laughs> but he was taken away. But the Ethiopian comes out of the water, and he knows that he is a believer in Christ. And he went on his way rejoicing. The thing that he didn't find in Jerusalem, the life he was rejected from, he now has. He's been brought near. And there's no fine print, but it's simply truth, repentance, and faith in Jesus. And he's brought in. And when he finds Christ, he finds joy. And this should be a reminder for us. As Christians, Christianity, following Jesus, should be the source of our joy. And so often it's not because I think we lose sight of what we actually have. We lose sight of what we believe. But if we believe that we have what the Ethiopian had, if we are Christians, it should be our source of joy, even when things are not going well. Because where do we find our joy even when things aren't resolved? The eunuch's earthly circumstances did not change. He was still a eunuch. He would still be rejected by people. But in Christianity, following Jesus, he finds joy because he's accepted in Christ. And one thing that he saw that we need to see as well is that we follow a God who is sovereign. 
He's over our circumstances, and he's with us through them. Imagine this Ethiopian eunuch retelling the story to others when he gets back home. Like, until the moment I met Philip, there was no resolution. There was just more bitterness, more anger, more sorrow. But I met someone who knew the author. And many of us are living in a season of life where things right now just aren't resolved. And some of us, spoiler alert, may spend our whole lives (laughs) in that place where there's so many unresolved plot points to our story and we don't see the reason why things are happening the way they are. We don't know where the story is headed, but like the Ethiopian, we can look back and see how God guided all of it. The pain that he experienced at the temple, the pain that I experience in my life, the pain and the unpredictability that you guys experience in your life, having everything, but still feeling like we have nothing. We can look back and say, oh, I understand now why God created that hunger in my life, why he allowed that rejection, because he was going to arrange a way for me to believe in him not just to add him to my knowledge, but to actually believe in him. And I wonder today, where are you at in your story right now? Where's your desert? Are you waiting to see where it will go? Have you stopped reading? You're just bored with it. You don't care anymore. (laughs) Or are you in the desert like Philip, who's like, Lord, I'm ready, but this does not look like what I thought I was signing up for but I'm gonna trust you. Or maybe you're like the eunuch today. I have everything, but I still have nothing. And it's hard to see how all of this will be for good. It really is. Why? Because the world makes it impossible to follow Jesus. (laughs) Makes it impossible. Because there's better options, right? That's why this church isn't filled. Why every church in Vancouver isn't filled. There's better options that the world gives but they don't last. But because God is over the story, we know that it will end for our good and his glory. In the end, things will be made new. So Christianity gives us a God who is sovereign over our circumstances. Jesus is above all, excuse me, Jesus above all is the answer for our longings. But deep down, sometimes, sometimes, We think we will still be satisfied with the job or the spouse or the house or followers on social media or whatever. We'll be satisfied with that. But we get those things, even though they may be good in themselves, they're lousy gods and they don't satisfy. But the kind of Christianity that the Ethiopian found, this was different. It's not a faith that modifies Jesus to his life. No, it's the opposite. It's a Christianity, it's a belief that says, I'm going to be modified to fit the life of Jesus. Think of that for a second. That means if I disagree with Jesus, I'm actually the one who's wrong, (laughs) not him. I'm going to be the one who will change because I need to. And we see this in the symbolism of baptism, don't we? We die to ourselves. And unless you're Jesus, dead things don't come back to life. (laughs) Okay, dead things stay dead. But Jesus raises us up 
from the waters of baptism. And out of the water, we have this new life that is hidden and buried in Christ. Christianity is not something that we add like a spice, but it's a faith that Jesus will modify us, where we say, I'm going to learn what Christians believe, what Christ followers believe. I'm going to do those things. I'm going to learn from the commands of Christ. I'm going to follow him because he is my God and he is my life now. Uh, Worship team, you can come up. We're gonna end here. Um, I spent several years of my life in the Philippines. And while I was there, I got to participate in camp ministry. And if you've been part of camp ministry, there's just nothing like it. And so at this camp, there were thousands of Filipino youth and at the, on the last day, we were doing baptisms. We had 300 baptisms. It was super cool, super cool. Just all these young people coming. And the very last baptism that I did, you know, I spoke to the person, and it was a young woman. But quickly learning as I was talking, this did not sound like a young woman. It was actually a man, a young man who had a sex change. And I baptized him. And he just started crying because he had yeah, full reconstruction, everything. And I looked at him and I'm like, what are those tears? He goes, oh, so much pain, but so much joy. I'm like, what's the pain? <laughs> oh, I'm going to cry. He said, the pain is no one will see Jesus in my life from the outside. The joy is when I speak, all they will hear is Jesus. That's a heart that's changed. That's a heart that is ultimately in Jesus's hand. And I wonder today, in your desert, what needs to die in order for us to find joy? If you could just bow your heads just for a second, close your eyes, and just think. If you believe in God, this is a time between you and God. If you don't believe in God right now, This is a time for you to think, but in your desert, where do you find joy? We're all looking for it. We can be honest. We're all looking to be content and satisfied. But what needs to die in order for us to find joy? Do we need to die to our searching? Maybe we're just looking for a better answer But God keeps giving the same answer. It's my son. He's what you need. And we just need to die to ourselves and say, yes, it is. I'm not going to find a better answer nor a better leader. Do we need to die to our cultural barriers like Philip did? No one is out of the reach of Jesus. Your coworker, your family member that's difficult to talk to, no one is out of the reach of Jesus. Do we need to die to that? Do we need to die to the fear and doubt that this Ethiopian eunuch experienced? Hey, I did the right things. At least I tried, but people are mean. (laughs) But do we just need to die to that and listen yet again to the voice of the Savior? Or maybe we need to die to our pain and rejection. Maybe it even happened a long time ago and we still keep it. And we need to die to that and actually believe in the suffering servant who was rejected on our behalf. So Heavenly Father, this is our prayer. Wherever we are today, what needs to die 
in order for life and joy to come, in order for you to be king and ruler and father. God, we give you our lives. This is our, pray, our prayer. We pray that you would respond. We need you. Our city needs you. Our families and friends need you. We thank you that you are the God who has been rejected on our behalf so that we can come in. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Could you please stand as we respond in worship?